Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm here on what would have been opening day with uh, Greg Jewett joining me again. Greg, thanks for being on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Drew. I was uh, lamenting this morning because a couple of the beat writers are sending out stuff. Um, I believe it was uh, uh, one of the guys from the Royals was saying, you know, this is the day where usually you're jazzed up to get your when you were a kid to get your note from your from someone in your family to go sneak out to a game on opening day. It used to be my grandpa for me up here in Syracuse. I don't know if you have a similar story, but yeah, there's a, there's a twinge of sadness with no baseball, but uh, I've been keeping myself busy with stuff for fantasy alarm. Yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's totally a day that we all look forward to. And, and this year has been crazy to say the least. And, you know, I'll just say, I feel, feel at least compelled to say everybody just stay home as much as you can. Obviously, this coronavirus thing is, is um, you know, something that we're all dealing with, fighting, trying to flatten the curve. And uh, I don't want to talk about things that I know not of, but I, I know that we need to, you know, keep from inundating the the medical professionals that are trying to deal with this. So. Um, I hope everybody's already doing that, but just stay home, wash your hands. We're going to get through this, but, um, we're optimists here, right, Greg? So we're, we are. we're, uh, we're looking for, we're hoping that baseball will happen. And I know you're, you're doing, um, a series where you're trying to, uh, look at all the schedules teams will have if the season starts on June 1st. So, um, <clears throat> I know you're. If you want to say anything about that, fine. But I know we just talked about we're going to look at some players and you can um, sort of bring some of that work to bear on on your opinions. Um, is there anything you want to say about the uh, the project you're working on? Um, I think uh, Howard Bender over at Fantasy Alarm, the, the article is usually in this type of series with like the spring training hot takes. Um, he usually makes free of the public, and we're trying to obviously do more stuff uh, in front of the paywall with everybody being limited at home and trying to get more exposure for all of the work that gets put in. Um, but basically, um, going off of the Jason Stark article saying that, you know, past practice in baseball has been uh, at whatever point the commissioner decides to start the season, they are not going to really be altering the schedule. So there, there really is not going to be a balanced divisional uh, schedule. So it's going to affect some teams positively and some teams negatively. So I went through and wrote down all of the series from teams from starting today, which is SAGs. You go on the schedules today and it just says PPD on all of the opening day. Um, and then I, I logged in all of the series every month. And so what I'm trying to do is see who might gain a statistical or at least a advantage based on the, uh, the nuances in the schedule. So some teams like Toronto are going to be hurt by a late start in June if it were to happen that way. And, and other teams could benefit based on the uh, strength of schedule that they're going to face. Uh, and and what, this is all conjecture because you're projecting out records, but I used uh, the great work by Dan Samborski over at Fangraphs with his uh, projected winning percentages for teams based on the zips. And I used that as a template and I watered it down to 101 games, which would be probably the most palatable number um, if you start on June 1st for these teams. So some teams project out to have 102 or 103 games, but most of them are right around that 101 mark, which would make it um, 
a decent starting point. Maybe it would be 102, but I don't think a game's going to throw off the percentages or anything uh, in too great of a measure. Yeah, I think that's obviously a good way to look at it because if you, I mean, if you're a pitcher and you lose a couple series against the Tigers or something, that's going to, um, you know, those are games that you not only expect to win, but dominate with strikeouts. And, you know, you may lose two or three starts if you're losing, uh, if your team's losing, you know, three or four series um, in, in uh, the games that would have been played in April and May. So look forward to seeing what all comes of that. And um, I'm sure that'll, you, you'll be able to say some things about certain players, especially, I think you said you've done the American League so far. So, yeah, um, I, have, I have the American League broken down. The Blue Jays is the only team I've broken down by remaining uh, win percentage by month, but I'm going to do that for everybody else once we're done recording. Um, I hope to publish the American League on Friday and probably the National League if he wants it over the weekend or he might save it till Monday. But those would both uh, be posted unless we get an official start date. But I don't think Manfred's going to announce a hard start date in the next in the next four days. So I'm working on the conjecture. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. Um, today, you're, you've been kind enough to just come on and, and talk about some players with me. I mean, this is the first podcast I've done in the last few weeks because I've just been sort of trying to process everything, uh, you know, with that's happening with baseball and otherwise. And, um, you know, I haven't actually been drafting as much as I was before. I know some people are still doing drafts, which is great. Um, you know, we got to do something to, to take our minds off of the rest of the world and um, you know, our confinement and boredom for some of us, but, but, um, I've been really interested to sort of look at the ADP and see what's going on. And, uh, so I've, I've picked out some players that I wanted to talk about and, um, mm-hmm. and you, you, you're gracious to talk about whoever. And, uh, we got to start with Bo Bichette because I, uh, I tweeted, you know, I kind of got off of my uh, hiatus enough to tweet yesterday. And my first tweet was, whoa, Bo Bichette, it's going really high. And I had him at 52, number 52 in draft champions in March. But I looked at the last 10 days and he's actually gone 42nd on average in draft champions and 46th in um, online championships. And you said you were doing a 12 team last night and he went, what, 37th? Oh, no, that was uh, Matt Modica was doing a money draft on NFBC. And he said the, the person in his draft set the new uh, max mark on him with uh, with with Bichette going 37th overall in his 12 team um, online wow. draft. I think that was that probably was a road to wire, but I don't want to misquote Matt. But, you know, Matt's gotcha. a very yeah. high volume, um, high stakes leagues player. And, and it was just funny because you would tweeted out your thing about Bo Bichette. And then Matt shared the the number that he went his thing is, you know, it he we've always joked that March is when you start seeing the the real movement of players that people want um, as the stakes go up and the drafts get closer to the season. Uh, the ADP starts going more and more out the window. And, and Bichette is one of those guys. But um, I'll let you talk to about it for a minute and then I'll uh, I'll share the. What I know, because the Blue Jays is the one team that I do have done as far as the schedule breakdown. So there's a few uh, nuggets of knowledge in there that might back up your argument. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so the tweet was basically just saying, you know, 
he's going so high now that you can get, and this was when I thought it was 52. So I'll, I'll try to try to adjust this for him going 42nd, which is just crazy to me. But like you can get Manny Machado at pick 60 for, you know, um, so what's that 18 picks later, you can get Tim Anderson. Now that's 38 picks later or Marcus Simeon, 45 picks later. Um, you know, and those are just rough estimates. And then I, and then I said, I would even say it's a close call with Jorge Polanco, 108, 118 picks later. Um, not any of that to say, uh, I, you know, I said I would probably take the, the first three of those guys straight against against Bo. Um, you know, I, I don't know about Jorge Polanco. I, I think you got to take a shot on Bo at that point. But we're talking about you know, so, so many picks and rounds that separate all these guys. And... Um, you know, I thought, okay, well, some people are going to be both fans. I'll get a little pushback. Uh, I got a lot of pushback, but it was mostly just people saying Bo's better than all those guys or, you know, something like that. And so I, I, I followed it up with a tweet about sort of their expected statistics and barrels. And it was really impressive to me how sort of all of these guys fall within a range of expected batting average, barrels per plate appearance. And Manny Machado... Uh, before 2019 really stands head and shoulders above them all. His year last year was actually kind of in line with the other guys. So I just think it's arguable between all these people, but I mean, Bichette is being dreamed on. I had a, I had a Twitter follower respond actually late last night and say that those arguing for Bichette would argue that he has a two AD upside with 40, uh, 25 homers and 25, uh, steals. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's strange to me because it's easy to dream on that upside for any toolsy player, Luis Robert, mm -hmm. you know, all these guys, but you know, when we're drafting, we're giving, we're given options between players who have a track record and players who, you know, we're dreaming on. And, you know, I, I, I was not really taking Bichette in the, you know, 60 something pick range. Um, because you know, you're, you're betting on the come, but now that you're having to pay, you know, in a third, in a, in a 15 team or third round value for him, I just, I'm, I'm really not seeing it. Um, uh, so, so what do you think in general about Bichette at that price? And, 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 and I guess what you would expect from him, I just, the 25 steals especially jumps out at me is not going to happen. Um, Correct. I mean, even, you know, he's going to be hitting near the top of a very good young lineup, but there's going to be, I think, some streakiness to this lineup. Um, and um, based upon what I'm looking at with their schedule, if we started in June, they could get off to a very fast start, um, which would make, um, if you have Bichette, it might be a perfect sell high candidate if you're looking to do something with your team. But I think a lot of the inflation in his price is coming with everyone searching for more stolen bases. Now, you know, if you're getting a player that gives you a potential of 20, then, you know, that's that's moving them up the boards. But, you know, to push him that far ahead of similar players, I mean, you know, you, you make the Tim Anderson uh, comp there. You know, Semyon will not give you 20 stolen bases, but he will be hitting a top of a better lineup. So, there's a lot of variables and everyone could build their portfolio any day, any way that they want. We don't know who they're taking in their later drafts to round out reaching for a Boba shut. I, I guess if you're using those gold star eyes and looking at them with that 25, 25 potential, that's how you're justifying the pick. But, you know, you mentioned Luis Robert. I mean, even, 
he, I think he went in uh, round five, pick nine in that same exact draft. I mean, given the two round discount, I probably rather have Robert, even though I know he's a batting average risk. That would make me move towards taking a Jeff McNeil later in the draft to kind of balance out the batting average risk. Um, there, there's always a way to build your portfolio, and I think there's different things. But here's what I was alluding to with the Blue Jays. Um, they're one of the teams that kind of gets affected by a June start. If it, if it were to happen, again, this is all we don't know what the commissioner is going to do. But if, if they did start on June 1st, Toronto loses 13 games versus Baltimore. Um, that's big in their division. When you get 19 games against a team that's projected to win under 40 games in a yeah, 101 game season, that. that's, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, and they would also lose 10 games against Boston. On the flip side, they would only lose six versus the Yankees and six versus Tampa Bay. So that means they would have 26 games remaining against the two top teams in their division. So that's going to kind of hurt a lot of their, you know, outside of the playoff round wild card chances, depending on how many they expand. I mean, if we have a shortened season, I've heard they're going to expand the, the wild card round, which is fine. I, I don't mind that. Um, but here's the thing. In June, they play 25 games against teams with a with a projected 0.473 win percentage. However, from July in July, August and September, each month, all of the teams are at 500 or better and a cumulative record. It's 501 in July. 518 in August and 509 in September. Um, and their last, you know, in September, they do get uh, the three game series with Detroit and Baltimore. But they also, after the Baltimore series, they play the Yankees, the Phillies, the Yankees, Boston and Cleveland with Boston and Cleveland all being on the road. I mean, that's that's a tough way to finish the year. Um, I'm just a little nervous, you know, losing all of those contests potentially to a team like Baltimore definitely affects the hitters. So. Yeah, you don't want to um, you, know, you don't want to miss games that you would have had against that Orioles pitching staff. <laughs> correct. I mean, especially for Bichette and Vlad Jr. and things. Those are games where these guys really could have made some hay and padded or stats, as you alluded to with Glaber Torres with all of his home runs against Baltimore last season. I mean, we know the Baltimore pitching staff's not very good. The bullpen's not going to be great. Um, those are going to be games where where teams are going to score some runs. So. Um, it's, you know, I don't want to go through and say these are win percentages. They lost of all the months that they don't happen. I'm trying to focus on the future and, and what we're thinking about with value. I just, to me, June seems like the most possible if I'm, I'm wearing the rose colored glasses. So that's why I use that as my starting point. But I'm, you know, luckily by doing all this work, I'll have all of the stuff saved. So if we get a different start date, I can adjust all the schedules and do a follow-up article. So that's kind of my thought process and all that thing. But the, the Blue Jays stand out, even though they're the only team I've done all of the monthly percentages, that, that really kind of makes you shake your head. So if you just do all the games from June 1st going forward, it's uh, the teams they face would have 1,767 wins versus 1,769 losses. That's basically almost 500, but it's really skewed by that June opening being 473. So Again, you're yeah. going to get a nice hot start, but then things well, are going to start to start to even out as the year goes on. What's interesting to me is is not just the the months that you're projecting. You know, if we get a June start, what what they're going to have for those months, but the months that they're losing, right? You know, the yeah, would you say 13 games against the Orioles? I mean, that's that's a that's that's quite a loss for a hitter. So yeah, so I think that's really exactly. interesting. And, 
And, you know, uh, going back to Bichette in, in specific, um, I, I, I just think you, you make a really good point about how you can build your portfolio in different ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm comparing Bichette to other shortstops you could have later. But really, the best way to think about your draft is who you could have at the price you're paying for Bichette. And then, you know, figure it out. Later. Position doesn't really matter when you're in the third or fourth round. Uh, you're just trying to get players that are going to give you, I would say, going to give you something that you can feel comfortable with. So mm -hmm. with Bichette, you know, first, you know, earlier in the, in the draft season, it was, oh, he's got 20-20 upside. Now he's got 20-20 or 25-25 upside. And it's all hopes and dreams. And, you know, you have other players in this range that have already done it before. And, um, you know, I'm not even going to bother really throwing out the, the list of players because there, there are a bunch in the, and you can just see in the third and the fourth round the guys with the track record. I'll, I'll name one because, uh, you know, he's probably going 10 picks before Bichette. But if you grab Javi Baez, you're getting a shortstop that has already done what you're hoping Bichette could possibly do and more. You know, I mean, Baez has 35 home run upside and, you know, he could get back to 20 steals. So yeah, Baez is entering his uh, prodigious age 27 season. So, I mean, we're entering Baez's power peak. Wow. I mean, I, I don't even, yeah, but, but I guess with, with Bichette, you know, I see, I see the 25, you know, 20 to 25 home runs as, as a possibility. Uh, I see the 15 plus steals as a possibility. I, I, I don't see it all coming together and him also hitting 280. And even if it, you know, it does, I think you're, you're betting on a, a, a smaller percentage outcome than with other players in this area. Um, they players that have a, a track record. Um, and I feel that way about a lot of young players that are going in the top 50 or, or so, um, y you know, there's no, there's nothing to say they, you know, Vlad, Vlad Jr. Won't put it all together and hit 300 this year, but, um, I think he's more likely to hit 330 home runs just based on the launch angle. Now, I'm I'm a Vlad Jr. fan. I mean, I love him. I watched him play in Double A in Binghamton. My son and I went to the game. He signed a card for him. He's a super personable kid. Um, but again, yeah, it, it's it's easier for me to pay for a bankable 30-something home runs later in a draft with a Josh Donaldson or a Mike Moustakis then saying I'm going to hope that Vlad can pop that amount of home runs. Now, again, I like the batting average upside in Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, we're just curious to see what the, the power toll is going to be. And from all signs indicating in the spring reports, the baseball is lining up to be different this year than last year. Yeah. I guess, I guess to, to put a, to put a um, caption on the whole, idea for me the, the thing with with Bichette and these young players is just in the first few rounds of a draft I want to get the most bankable things I can get you know I want to get the the pitchers who have done it before the hitters who have done it before I just want to get you know guys where I know what to expect and you know he's not that he's he's got upside for sure I I, I would give anybody that but I just um I just want a little something more predictable with my third or fourth round pick no so. i get it i mean if he was in the same price ranges as tim anderson then i understand going exactly. bichette over him because you want to add some upside to your portfolio but correct it's going to be hard and then again when, when these schedule things get into it you might see a little pullback on it um just when people start looking at those things saying 
we're losing games against Baltimore and some of these other teams, Kansas City. It's like uh, maybe we got to handle. I mean, I know talent can override any of the people that they're facing, but you know he had an unbelievable hot streak at the end of the season there on his call up, and I think that sticks with people and it resonates, and that's that's part of the thing driving him up is the the allure of upside. But what you're speaking to is uh, in those earlier rounds. from what I'm gathering you're saying is you'd rather take risk elsewhere, which to me makes some sense, especially if I know he's not going to give me the stolen bases that uh, another player cannot. That makes sense to me. Well, so I thought um, we would sort of start with that, but then, you know, that's, that's a, an interesting shortstop uh, that has getting, getting some movement in drafts. Uh, I thought we'd maybe try to pick out an interesting player at each position. So uh, just, you know, going back to uh, to catcher here, you you had mentioned Kiner Falefa uh, as a uh, spring riser, or well, I'll let you talk about him, but I'll I'll throw out the fact that he's going at pick 451, so he's basically free. Correct. I mean, this is more of a, a two catcher league, uh, fantasy free play. So if you let the catcher position kind of drift, and you're getting in the later rounds of a draft, and you're like, crap, I'm looking at a guy like a Mike Zunino who might hit for a low average, but at least get playing time. Um, You know, we want options. So if you get to a point where that position drifted on you, you know, you can do worse than, I I don't know if you remember back with the the Brandon Inge years, there was a year where he was transitioning from catcher to third base and he got a little overinflated in his draft value, but people were able to get, uh, you know, a player eligible person that has catcher eligibility. And, and there's a lure to that because, you know, he wouldn't be going through the grind. Um, if you've watched any spring game games, you know, Ronald Guzman and Greg Bird are still not showing really anything at the plate. And I know spring stats come with a grain of salt. However, it's hard to ignore Kiner Falafa with four home runs already. I believe wow. he had a OPS above 1.2. You know, that's 1,200%. Um, and and everybody, including the beat writers from Texas, was just raving about him in camp, including his manager, Chris Woodard. So there's a scenario where Todd Frazier could shift over to first base if neither of those two guys can handle it. And now all of a sudden you might have a second catcher in a very deep league that's playing third base every day for the Rangers. And if he hits 260 with a little extra pop, I mean, if you get anybody's willing to pay for a 260 hitting catcher with 12 home runs and some RBIs added in there, suddenly that puts them up into a much different realm. I mean, that's that's what we're hoping for with like a Yadier Molina type. So at, at about, what, 200 picks later, that's that's to me is something, you know, uh, that that's someone I don't mind taking a chance on. And that's a lot different price point than uh, like the Bichette thing we were all talking about. So to me, yeah, kind of Falafa. Is makes a lot of sense. And another guy that's flying below, he would have to get it in season is the Mariner said that Austin Nola would be sharing catching duties with Tom Murphy. Now I know Murphy has been getting the upside and he has power and I do like Murphy a lot, but knowing that eventually, you know, if you take Austin Nola as a, as a reserve player that might end up getting catcher eligibility, he's another person that makes sense. Cause now you're getting somebody who again, might hit for more of a two fifty ish average with a little bit of pop i mean he's not a special player but these are two guys that are basically free um again you have to wait for nola but kiner falafa makes very much sense to me in a in a 12 team or deeper 
uh, second catcher. Yeah, no, that's that's great stuff. And, uh, you know, kind of falafa, strangely, is even cheaper than Nola. I guess the, the playing time is the concern. But like four, mm-hmm. 402 for Nola or 451 for uh, kind of fluff. I think I'll take the latter, um, not just because of the price, but because of the upside. I mean, those steals at the catcher position, that's really nice. I mean, you're not really getting that from anyone except Real Muto. And, you know, if you want to punt one catcher in a two catcher league, you could take a Real Muto early and then and then wait for um, what falls. There are some other interesting late catchers like Jason Castro, but I'm sure mm-hmm. he's creeping up. And uh, and this is just a, uh, you know, like you said, a free square uh, that you can get in, you know, the 25th round or later in a 15 teamer. Um, and also, I, you know, I didn't realize this. I would have said kind of left. It was just kind of a, a journeyman who had just kind of bounced around, you know, catcher third base and everything. But he's, he's 25 years old. So mm-hmm. you can dream on a little bit of his, you know, his, you know, coming into his power peak, that sort of thing. Well, and um, we know we know catchers take longer to develop a lot of times with their offense because they're focusing sure, on the yeah. on the game. You know, that's that's part of hope. the allure to a Danny Jansen this year. You know, everybody was on the Danny Jansen train last year, and he was having a great spring as well. But you know, these these post hype guys that are way off of the radar are a lot of the times the ones that decide leagues because you have you have somebody with upside at a position where people do not. I totally agree. So kind of fluffa, write them down. I mean, it's it, this is exactly what we were talking about with with Bichette. It's it's you're hoping on something, you're 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 dreaming on something, but the big difference is the price. You know, you're you're not doing it in the third or fourth round. You're doing it in the twenty fifth round. So mm-hmm. uh, great call out there. Um, shifting to first base, one guy I wanted to talk about. I'm not sure you know if you have strong feelings about him or not, but. Josh Bell is going, he's still going 96th overall. And I think you, you, you mentioned, and you're right, that, you know, a lot of people just don't want anything to do with the, the Pirates. And who can blame them? Their, their, their lineup is going to be even worse than it was last year. It wasn't that good last year. Although he managed a, a ton of RBIs, and I, I, I don't see that repeating. But I do think Josh Bell is a very, very solid, you know, 275, 280 or better hitter that's going to hit, you know, 30 35 maybe uh, home runs with, with even a little upside that is going to get you some really solid stats. Um, you know, the counting stats will be not as good as other 35 home run hitters because the pirates are terrible, but 96 just seems like such a bargain here. I mean, first base is a tough position really. I mean, you have to go up to Max Muncie at 77 or Paul Goldschmidt or Jose Abreu at 60, 69 or 70. Um, to 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 fill that first base spot, um, unless you wait for Josh Bell at 96, seems like a bargain to me. Yeah, I I find myself more. I've been I've been in a lot of the early stuff I did. I would end up with somebody. I, I kind of liked Jose Abreu at that price. Um, and then somehow somehow when first base drifts, I usually end up getting on the wrong side of it, like in the TGFBI. Um, I went with a different upside play at first base, and I totally get Josh Bell. I mean, what he did in the first half last year was tremendous. The second half was things balancing out. We we just hope he lives somewhere in the middle and can maintain that through a full season. Um, I, I know a former person I wrote with was always on the Josh Bell hype train, so I know that kind of justified his love for him last season when, when it was in the midst of all of the breakout stuff. Um, I've been getting a lot of C.J. Crone. Um, just kind of a stat cast hero, same idea, bad team hitting in the middle of a lineup, 
just at a reduced price. It just, you know, and, and we, we keep talking about how you're putting your team together. It's just what you need. Now, I, I don't mind getting um, Bell at his price point or maybe reaching for him a little bit. If I see first base about to fall off a cliff, um, I'm a little nervous about some regression with Carlos Santana based on what he did last year. I think he's kind of in that same price range as Bell. So those two, I would rather maybe have the, you know, potential upside of Bell. Carlos um, is a little cheaper. Carlos Santana and Danny Santana are both going around 140. And, okay. And, but but you bring up – so Crone is a great, great call out. I've, I've drafted a lot of Crone. He's going 213 still, which is just criminal. Um and then there's Christian Walker and Luke Voigt around around 200. So I, you yeah, know, this I is maybe Voigt what I'm saying. Night. When it drifted on me, I did take Voigt last night. Um, the only thing that makes me nervous with Walker is if they decide to platoon him with Lamb. I don't think Lamb can stay healthy enough to challenge him. But uh, And then you have Crone's brothers out there in Arizona. He was having a huge spring. There's just a lot of moving pieces to that Diamondbacks infield that makes me a smidge nervous. Um, but, yeah, I, I can totally see – uh, I can totally see that as a, as a viable person, you know, that, but again, like you're drawing a those... line there. You don't want to get below them unless you're just playing for batting average, possible upside in like a Daniel Murphy. I mean, it gets, it gets skittish quick after that group. Well, you're right. And, and there's, you know, even from the Danny Santana, Carlos Santana range, you know, there are big, big question marks there. Um, and you mentioned a lot of good question marks around the 200 range. I think CJ Crone has the safest, like he's, he's not losing that job. And, uh, you know, the only question mark for me is, you know, Comerica Park, obviously not the best for, for hitting for power, but he's got that light tower power where it's really not going to matter. So right. I think you would that's hope a great that, yeah. call out. And if I had to compare, Crone at 213 versus Josh Bell at 96. I think you you definitely uh, won the uh, bargain shopping there. Um, I, yeah, so but I, it's I, not all about that. Yeah, not every team you're, you're not going to get in it. But the problem is if you wait to get Crone and somebody snipes them, then you're really left scrambling. That's that's the downside when you're playing sure, the sure, sure. when you're playing the bargain game. And I you know people have to have you have to have like if I don't get Crone, then then what do I do? Hopefully you're at. You're a corner infield, not first base at that point, but I totally I think understand. That's right. I think that's exactly right. Is is if you maybe Josh Bell falls a little and you take him at pick 100, and then uh, you're looking to uh, target Crone for your corner. But um, but but definitely a great value there. It's, it's really good that you mentioned that. Let's let's move over to second base, and um, I, you know, my uh, sort of second base. Uh, uh, chosen one is is Ketel Marte, but I've noticed uh, that a lot of people are on Jeff McNeil, and I, I see some similarities there with McNeil having less power, less speed, but but being a high average second baseman that's going to hit at the top of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going 85th right now, which is a lot later than than my boy Ketel Marte. Uh, does he does he have you know anywhere near the upside? I, I guess the power is something that I question. He seems to have you know been able to sort of trade a little bit of average for some power. He hit I think five home runs in yeah. July. Five. He did that last August year when he and, came back from injury, and I think he kind of spoke to the fact that he wasn't 100%. So he was trying to overcompensate his normal approach by 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 hitting the ball with more power to kind of stay relevant. But um. I think McNeil's a very nice person to have in your team. 
especially if you want to take some chances on a power hitter with uh, batting average concerns, like say you have Chris Davis in your utility, having a Jeff McNeil around uh, balances him out in the, in the batting average category. So um, he, he lets you take some chances in the draft that you might not have in other places. Um, it's funny, my way off the radar, second baseman, um, I've been getting as like a middle infielder in a few deeper drafts has been Cesar Hernandez. He's kind of like a lost, you know, a couple of years ago he had steam last year. He disappointed a little bit, but not terribly. I think he still hit 279 last season. Um, well, I, you know, I as, as a double digit a... home run, as a double digit home run and, um, stolen base guy. If he can find his way, you know, I don't know how long the Mercado injury is going to linger, but if Hernandez somehow hits second in that lineup, suddenly he gets a big boost in appeal um, as a middle infielder. Again, I don't know if I want him as my starting second baseman, but, um, you know, in this little segment, that's kind of that's I've been getting a lot more Cesar Hernandez lately than I planned on getting. I, I love that call out because I've, I've drafted a lot of Cesar Hernandez, uh, hopefully as a middle, but like you said, but in, uh, you know, a draft champions league or something like that, because I, he's going to be in that lineup there. There's, there's not really any, anyone going to take him out of the lineup. And like you said, I don't think it was a lock that Oscar Mercado, you know, hits above him in that lineup, even if he's healthy. So, um, you know, Cesar Hernandez is a great guy to just, you know, stay, you know, in a relatively decent spot in the lineup, but most importantly in the lineup and mm-hmm. compiling you stats in a league where you're not going to be able to pick up somebody else like a draft champions league in a 15 teamer. I still think he's got value in a 12 teamer is probably where I would shy away from scissor. Mm-hmm. Hernandez. I don't, I don't right. know if you we just don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah no, it's you, you need there's the just, best. There's just you not the upside, but, but in Correct. a 15 teamer, you, you, you know, where you're looking for compiling numbers uh stats uh he's he's a really good guy to have so so is, so mcneil um you know i was kind of kind of looking for advice <laughs> i i just i, I like him i mean i haven't I, you know, really just, as long as you have in, in 162 when we were projecting a normal season you know i would see him in the 310 range with with a chance to hit higher since he just showed great capability of handling a bat i just think you're paying for like more of 20 home runs and maybe 9 to 10 stolen bases just based on volume i mean see, and that's the, okay the, that is a profile where i'm i'm interested in that later like um Mike, michael brantley you know that's that's a michael mm-hmm. brantley type profile he's going pick 124 versus 85 and um, maybe even I don't like this player a lot because I worry about playing time, but Yuli Gurriel is going 149. And so if you're looking for a guy who's going to hit more like 20 home runs with a good average, I tend to look at those guys later. I don't, I don't see the upside with McNeil to take him 85th, Mm -hmm. but I got you. I can understand that. That's just me. Uh, You know, I think he's an interesting player to talk about. He, you're, you're right. He seems like he can sort of, do what he wants with the bat. Like, you know, he's going to, he's going to choke up and, 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 and slap the ball and hit 320, or he's going to hit, you know, sacrifice a little bit of strikeouts, hit 280 and, um, and, and hit some more home runs. Like I was saying, he had, he had five in August, five in, or sorry, five in July, five in August and seven in September, which is more than I thought. I, I didn't think he was going to get to 15 last season. He showed, he showed no signs of it until the second half. Like you said, he came back and he, he just decided to change his approach. So real interesting guy. Um, I think 85 is a little rich for me, but um, 
shifting to third base. Um, <clears throat> I think third base is an interesting position this year. You know, it's, um, it's super top heavy. There's, there's so many good for third basemen um, going really early, like obviously Arenado and, and Bregman and Devers and all those guys. But um, there's there's plenty in the middle rounds. I know you mentioned we talked about Donaldson. You know you've drafted, and uh, I've gotten uh, who have I been drafting it? Well, I, I like Moncada a lot, sort of earlier. Um, but I was trying to find somebody really interesting to talk about late, and I, I cannot believe Yandy Diaz is going as late as he is. I know why he's going late. It's because the Rays are going to ray. <laughs> They're platooning, and it's it's frustrating. But he's going 276, so he's he's very he's getting close to free. And I just see a lot of upside. I think he's going to hit for a very good batting average. I think if he continues to loft the ball like he he began to do in 2019 before he got injured, I really see Yandy Diaz, you know, flirting with 30 plus home runs if if he could, you know, get full playing time. The, the playing time is the issue, I would imagine. It is. It is for me. I'm just that whole that whole infield. You know, there's you can you can point to guys that you like, but we until I think you know what's depressing his cost and drafts is exactly what you're saying. Is owners just we don't know is he going to play full time? I mean, people want to know if and, and can he play full time? It just seems like he's a guy that gets nicked up a little bit. Now, obviously, Tampa Bay won that trade with Cleveland. Um, based on him versus Jake Bowers, but, um, you know. Well, that's uh, a really good we, point. I've heard people talking about how how jacked he is, you know, and you have to think about we're about to move to outfield, and, you know, you have to think about guys like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Like, is, is there something to the fact that these guys that are just a, a walking muscle, um, you know, that, that maybe they are too yoked up and they're swinging the bat too hard and they're just likely to hurt themselves? It's possible. I think we're seeing baseball move more back into the the core and fluidity thing, as opposed to just getting you know Herculean. Um, I will and, say that, and, and I know Zimmerman was talking about doing. He wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive just on the bigger guys. You know, the the six yeah. five hulking players. You know, are they more prone to breaking down just based on their their crazy body specimens you know is, is this something that we're gonna have to start accounting for with all of these players and, and I, I don't know there's just you know That's those big exactly muscles and moving what, pieces and yeah. you know it's just crazy well we all know you know mobility and, and fluidity is is valuable for you know just as, for for anyone but i mean for someone who's doing what, what these athletes are doing you know you gotta imagine it's important i love to hear that jeff zimmerman is on it because if i have an idea and, and he's he's gonna tackle it that's that's way better so that's awesome i will mention so 276 uh, going right before him at 274 is sam hilliard and right after him is gregory polanco i think both of those players have a lot of uh playing time and injury concerns themselves and i don't mm-hmm. think they have as much upside as yandy diaz so that's he's interesting to me but I get the concerns, but speak, you know, speaking of the yoked up guys, let's move to outfield. Cause um, we've got judge going down. He's at, he's around pick 59. Now uh, Eloy's hanging tough at about pick 60. Uh, Stanton is at pick 75 now. So he's fallen a little bit too. Uh, but then you still have Jorge Soler has not moved up. He's at 94. Fran Mel Reyes has moved up, but he's still at 115. And Kyle Schwarber is coming in at 138. Um, 
when I look at those guys, I don't see a lot of daylight between them. I mean, Aaron Judge, you know, if he's healthy, has probably hit for the highest average of any of these players. But I, I don't think it's a given that he's going to hit 300. And um, when you look at these other guys, I see players that are going to hit 260-ish or better. And they could all, if healthy, you know, flirt with 40-plus home runs, um, if not lock it in for most of these guys. Uh, are you seeing a reason for, you know, there to be almost 100 picks between these players? Well, this is this was a sticking point because uh, early in the season, before any injuries happened, um, I know Howard Bender at Fantasy Alarm asked me to sub in and, and do the the player you most want and the player you're most likely to avoid piece. Um, and my player to avoid was Stanton. Now, this was before any injury concerns this year emerged that could possibly limit his season. But it was more for me about the price point that you're alluding to, you know, and, and I quoted in there, you know, you can get Jorge Soler so many picks later just based on early ADP. You can get Fran Mel Reyes, whose price has gone up, but I still don't think it's 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 anywhere egregious. Um, I was angry when um, I, I got sniped on him in the TGFBI. I was hoping to get him on the round coming back, and, and um, James Anderson of Rotowire took him before I could, um, so I zigged to, to Kyle Schwarber. So, I mean, I, I had those two guys in the same kind of area, like I want to get A or B, and luckily I was able to get Schwarber because um, I wanted power at that point in my in my draft. But, um, you know, Fran Mill Reyes, I think people are – he was already off to a huge spring, so I think that's inflating him a little bit. But his last 31 games with the Indians last year, he hit 287 with a 583 slugging and a whopping he had a 296 isolated power in that in that range so that was eight doubles eight home runs of his you know 31 his last 31 hits of the season so i mean the power was already there and emerging with him and i think him getting comfortable with cleveland and him showing up to camp in in better shape he had he had toned up and, and i think they said he had lost 15 pounds and he was doing the things we talked about about making his body more fluid um, Schwarber last year in the second half, he gets overlooked. His last 70 games, he hit 280. Now, I know Schwarber's teased us a little bit before, but I, I really think there's a maturity. And again, this is these are guys that are not old that, you know, and, and I think as I start drafting towards a shorter season, if that's what's going to happen, I want younger players because I think they're going to stay fresher. They're going to be able to handle this more uh sprint of a season you know we always talk about baseball being a marathon but as we transition <laughs> to a potential as, <laughs> as we transition to a potential 101 or 81 game sprint i think the younger your team is and and the more pliable your roster is 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 going to build success um as you can as you can weather all these storms i mean if we're we're I talking agree. about fewer starts and and other stuff. You you want to I think you want a younger profile, uh, especially in like these power areas because you know these guys are probably going to stay on the field and all you need is a couple of hot streaks to really make them pop in a shortened season. Totally agree. And uh, you know it's interesting for me to see as Judge and Stanton fall. Um, you know they're falling to the 50, 60, 70 range. Uh, Fran Mill and Schwarber, as they rise, are still after, you know, well after the, the top 100. So I just, yeah, I see really no reason to pay up at this 
position. I mean, you could you could certainly say that those Yankees are going to have a better better lineup and, and mm-hmm. more counting stats, but uh, the, they still have more inherent risk based upon their past. But yeah, the the prices is, is the risk, and the and the, the history is the risk. I, I, I risk. I just think. Um, I just think this is a really good place to to get some some volume, and I, I really like your comment about youth um, rather than sort of trying to pay up for a guy. Um, again, in those top four, even five rounds, you know, I want something that's more predictable. So, and if I had um, to, I would rather go with Eloy over. Although he had a checkered injury pass in the minors, I mean, last year was one of the first years he played a full season. But you know, again, I, I'm going to say, give me give me the Give me the youth upside there and that little yeah. wrinkle. Although I'm, I'm willing to wait for, for Jorge Soler, who, again, exactly. another guy who's got a – I mean, all those guys have, have checkered injury past. I mean, sure. you know, sure. just paying full retail or even a slightly reduced retail. Uh, I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I could have pulled the trigger in my mock last night on Stanton, and I didn't. I just waited, I think, two or three rounds later, and I got Soler. So I was so, okay so- with it. So Larry's going to hit, you know, third or cleanup and Eloy's going to hit what sixth. And then, you know, Fran Mill and Schwarber will probably hit, you know, either in, in the top five of their lineups. So I don't I don't see any reason to pick Eloy over any of those three. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, oh, I just that, meant, you know, I just meant gun to my head in that little three person scenario. To lead right. In if that, you had to pick yeah, him yeah. or Judge or Stan, yeah, I agree. Well, so let's move to pitcher. The, the, it, obviously, the short short season is uh, making a lot of things interesting here, and I don't want to dwell on that too much. I think we can all understand why pitchers are moving up, that um, we're going to have innings limits, you know. I mean, obviously, if there's less innings to be had, their innings limits are not going to be such a pain. And two mm-hmm. of those are uh, Jesus Lizardo, who is now, in the last 10 days, going 89th overall, and uh, Julio Urias, 125th. Um, they're both very young, uh, you know, future phenoms. Uh, and, uh, I have to, have to say, I, I, I didn't, I was seeing a lot lower prices on, on both of these guys, especially Urias was going after pick 150. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about him at the, at these prices, um, knowing what we know now? Um, <clears throat> I'm okay with both of them. It just, again, it's, you know, we're always thinking about, is that going to be, if it's Luzardo, if that's my third pitcher, at pick 89, I'm I'm okay with taking that chance. And again, as we're talking about a more truncated schedule, um, suddenly you know him maybe being on a 20 start limit for the season that could be the full season. So now people are I think moving him up, and his, his spring didn't hurt anybody with the 13 to one strikeout to walk ratio and his 8.1 innings he threw it's a beast. Um, be- before before everything got shut down. So I mean. That was only driving the cost stuff. I'm I'm still a little angry at Urias for hitting my boy Willie Calhoun in the mouth, but uh, I'll let <laughs> yeah. things pass on that and uh, give him give him a little trick. So I mean, you know, we know the Dodgers are going to manipulate those innings, but again, you know, I'm just shocked at how much Urias is moving up, and people are still kind of sleeping a little bit on David Price. Um, I I might let Urias go at that price point because if I'm in a a Fran Miller, Kyle Schwarber, or Nick Castellano state of mind. I might be filling up some of the outfield spots at that point, and then I'll I'll take um, David Price a little later than Urias just because I think there's a little more trusted workload. But I totally understand why the prices on these two is, is moving up as 
as the as the season looks to be getting shorter. I could not agree more with all of that. I think, you know, what I was going to say about Lazardo at 89 is, yeah, I'm taking Marcelo Zuna there. I'm taking Josh Donaldson there. I'm taking, uh, <clears throat> who did you just say, Castellanos there? Absolutely. Yep. And um, <clears throat> with, I'm, I may be more likely to get Julio Urias at 25, at 125. Yep. But like you said, there are a lot of guys still going around 150, 160 like David Price that, you know, at some point, Julio Urias, you have to start worrying about that Dodger stuff, like you said. So, I mean, perfectly and, and said. I don't know why I'm restating it, everything you it, said, but I agree. Is it, is it out of the realm of possibility that Rich Hill doesn't come too far off of what Urias does great, in the season? That's a really I'm, good call. I'm getting yeah, Rich Hill cheap as hell everywhere because everyone's forgetting about him. But if we don't start games in June, that's when sure. his target return date was. You know, and even if you only get June and half of July and then he gets hurt, you're you're going to get good innings while he's playing. And, you know, if you're getting him at pick Hopefully, 300 yes. or whatever. Yeah, right. I mean, he, you know, typically he, he always has. So he's going 335 right now. So you should definitely be targeting Rich Hill. Let's talk about three relievers real quick and then we'll call it a day. Um, I am a guy who always tries to wait at, at closer. Um, I don't I don't like taking the early ones just because. Uh, they typically go a little bit before I want, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting just incredible hit. You know, I'm getting a Ramon Laureano in, in <clears> round five instead of Hader. And I'm, I'm getting, um, you know, those, those other guys uh, we were just talking about Azuna and Solaire and Castellanos and all those guys in round six and a 15 teamer. So I'm not getting uh, Osuna or Eraldis Chapman or Yates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so sometimes I'll be able to s- steal a closer in round eight or nine, like uh, um, Taylor Rogers. But most of the time I'm waiting, even for my first closer, and I'm getting I'm getting the dregs. You know, I'm getting Ian Kennedy, I'm getting uh, Joe Jimenez, and I like those guys fine, and I think they're going to keep their jobs. But when you really want to go bargain shopping for closer, uh, you're looking at some some bad teams and some uncertainties. And I picked out some guys. Uh, that are going super late uh, that their jobs are, well, for various reasons, suspect. So you have Wade Davis is now going 242. He's got the job, but we just don't know if he's any good. Uh, I have to throw in uh, Scott Oberg at 281. But then after that, you've got Hunter Harvey at 284 and Matt McGill, who I know you like at 314. Uh, has, has anything changed with any of these guys? Uh, how would you, if, if you're if you're bargain shopping, maybe you've only gotten one closer at this point, and you're trying, you're you're desperately trying to get some more saves. Where would you steer people in this range? It's it's really really wide open right now because there's so many teams with stuff in the air, and as as saves becomes more of a fungible category with teams using multiple people. Um, I liked McGill a lot more before there were whispers about his shoulder limiting his throwing early in camp. Um, so now you're you're I'll, the hard part when you let these drift is sometimes you have to bracket it, whereas you're taking two people. So if you're taking Wade Davis, I think you're almost married to having to take Scott Oberg just so you're canvassing all of the saves in that Rockies bullpen. If you're taking Ian Kennedy, I'm just being I, he had a great finish last year. But when you read the quotes from Matheny saying that he's already spoken to guys about their roles in the bullpen 
and the fact that they just kept uh, they just kept uh, was it Rosenthal? He made the roster. They announced it yesterday. That was one right. of those <clears throat> under the radar tweets where you have to pay attention. If you have Kennedy, you're probably you probably need to handcuff with Rosenthal if you can. Um, just be, I'm just reading between the tea leaves. I mean, that's where uh, reading everything from the beat writers makes sense. Um, you you just have to you have to cover yourself. You know, I do like Hunter Harvey. You know, we need to make sure that he can build upon his nice debut. I know some people like Mike Petriello at Fangraphs was saying he doesn't like Harvey. Everyone's going to have their opinions. Um, you know, I've, I've been a proponent of Joe Jimenez. The one nice thing is we know Detroit is loyal. Even when Shane Green was struggling last year uh, before they traded him, they left him in there as the closer. I mean, they're, you know, they've proven themselves to be a franchise that it looks like they're going to let Jimenez grow into that role. Um, and he had a nice finish to the year. So, yeah, it's. You know, I'm having a hard time paying for Archie Bradley where he is. Um, there's other people where I'm just like, I did not, I had a chance to take Alex Colomay as my second closer last night, but I opted to reach a little bit on Nick Anderson just because even if he doesn't close full time, uh, Mark Topkins said that he was in line for a majority share. To me, that's good enough just based on his, his strikeout upside and ratio protection. I'd rather get a few less saves knowing that I think he can keep it. So, I mean, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think about the way people were people, drafting. I think you're, I think you're looking at like an Aaron Bummer. You're looking at a Kevin Ginkle in Arizona. I mean, there's tons of people super late that, uh, you know, in your reserve rounds, I think this year in the reserve drafts, you're almost taking exclusively starters and relievers that could fall into saves. Are you still on McGill, or are you just starting to? I do like fade McGill. Um, I just want to know that he's healthy. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. In, in the event, then I'm I'm thinking about maybe some Brandon Brunton shares just to again to cover my bases. Okay. Well, I don't like hearing that on Ian Kennedy, but I think you're you're right. I got so many shares of him earlier before. The, the, the Rosenthal-Matheny connection is a little scary. I'll just say that. Absolutely. So, and, and the fact that he was hitting 100 on the radar doesn't doesn't quell it. So, I mean, we don't know, you know, stranger things have happened, but we've seen relievers come back out of nowhere and, and have a outlier season. There's a chance one of those lies in Rosenthal. So, again, if you have Kennedy, that's fine. Just make sure you're you're doing your best to back him up with Rosenthal. Um you know, I think I, at some point Karinchak could find himself in the saves in Cleveland. You know, there, there's just a lot of things that could happen. I think the right way to do it, you know, especially in a in a in a, a fab league, you know, or waiver league, is to get, you know, one or two uh, before you get to the the, you know, by the time you're at the Joe Jimenez range. Like that's the cutoff for me. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, I think it's like pick 180. So you're not having to pay up, pay up for these, but you get Correct. a couple in rounds like 10, 11, 12. And then you take a shot later on like a Karinchik. And, yep. um, you know, you make a good point with Nick Anderson. Uh, of course, Karinchik's like half the price. You know, he's uh, he's picked 300 or something. But but it's the same kind of thing where you, you're getting a lot, even if he doesn't get saves or even if he doesn't get many saves. So yes. I, I really and like that kind of idea. And, and um, there's, there's other things. I'm sorry. I was wondering because like you were seeing – uh, Seattle also said with their starters, I mean, cause I know like justice Sheffield and some other people were getting some, some interest, but Seattle came out and said that at the beginning of the season, they might be doing like the old bill James three, three, three scenario where it's one, one pitcher for three innings, another pitcher for three innings. And then they'll piece together the last three innings with the bullpen. I mean, that's, 
that will throw a lot of things out the window. If you're suddenly getting Taiwan Walker just throwing three innings in a in an outing, um, it's going to change. You know, you the last thing you want is one of those guys in Seattle working the first three innings because he can't get anything. You always want the bulk guy or the guy going later because they have a chance to fall into a win or a save. Well, listen, one more reason to follow Greg on Twitter, everybody, uh, because your <laughs> pen your pen tweet is you know your your closer chart, which I know you'll start updating even more when, you know, hopefully the season starts. And yeah, um, well, I, that's what you're going to want to do this year. You're, you're going to, if you're going to want to, uh, you know, add closers um, or potential closers before they get the job, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to, you're going to want to play that, that game because there's going to be madness. You know, it's just not a regular season. So correct. It's going to be um, uh, it's going to be a volatile year. <clears throat> Sorry. Before we uh, we end, I, I wanted to throw out a couple of just super late hitters going back to hitters that that I'm, I'm, I've just been interested in. And I wanted to get your opinion. Um, one guy I have actually drafted a good bit is Rugnet Odor. I just he's a guy that was going, if I'm not mistaken, top top five rounds uh, a couple of years ago. And then, you know, he's just had this, you know, boomerang or you know, yo-yo batting average that's just gone in, you know, barely hitting the Mendoza line. And then, you know, one year he'll hit 250 or even 270. Um, who is Rugnet Odor? I mean, we, we saw an increase in power last year. He had uh, a pretty good number of barrels. I'm not going to bother looking it up at like, I think 30 home runs. And he's also got some, some double digit, double digit stolen base speed, but you know, what's the deal with his, with his hit tool? Well, none of us know. And I know it <laughs> frustrates his manager um, it's what made Nick Solak intriguing at the end of last year because people were whispering that maybe he could usurp second base from Odor if he can't hit. You know, I think Texas is going to give him uh, the, the start of the season and let him see where he was. Now, the encouraging thing was uh, reading all of the spring tweet, training tweets from the beat writers. They were harping on Odor had uh, shortened his his leg kick, getting his, you know, shortening a swing faster to the ball. He was making very good contact early on in spring. Um, he was a hot hitter, just like Kiner Falafa in that lineup with those games. Um, and we want to see if he can carry it over. I mean, Odor is a much different player if he's given you, you know, the 30 home runs and a chance at double digit steals with a 240 average versus a 209 average. So that changes things appreciably. Um, I think if you're taking an Odor, just make sure you've got some batting average cushion built into your um, built into your team. You know, he's not somebody you can add to a team that's already a batting average risk, if that makes sense. This is this is one reason I like to get what I you know know what I'm getting in the first several rounds, because if I'm mm-hmm. getting a, a Kettle Marte in the third and maybe a DJ LeMahieu in the fifth or sixth yep. and, you know, and maybe that Jeff McNeil <laughs> sneaks in there. Yep. You know, you, yeah. you could do a lot worse, especially if you're trying to win an overall than taking Danny Santana in the ninth and Rugnet Odor in the 15th. Uh, you, you've got some upside on that team now, you know. Correct. So I, I, and, and you've got cushion for those possible batting average drains. That's yeah. exactly. And that's that's why we always say there's more than one way to build a team. It's just you have to have it. You have to have a thought process in mind when you're going through it. You can't just willy nilly have a team with a bunch of batting average risks and say, oh, I'm going to add Odor to this, too. And then it just collapses. So, exactly. Ex- we can analyze players till we're blue in the face, but you, you got to know how to build your team. So that's that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, one other guy who who I'm not on in this range. So so Odor is going 
237 right now. So his, his spring didn't really seem to convince many people. But no. um, another another hot name is Ian Happ, who has moved all the way up to pick 250. He was he used to be completely free going around and pick 350, 400, something like that. So he's up to 250 now, and I'm just, I'm just not buying it. You know, you and I have talked about how he cannot hit the fastball. He, he his expected batting average the last two years in small samples, but still against the fastball has been, you know, he's hitting 200 against the, against the fastball. You know, that should be the pitch that you hit the best. But but there's um, one thing we want on the handle is the fastball. So how big of a problem is this? And are you taking any stabs on him? Are you just kind of letting other people worry about that? I have zero shares right now. Yeah, he does have power, but what I keep looking at is even last year with the juice baseball, at triple a he he still was hit he was hitting 242 when he got called up and then hit 264 with chicago so i i just think he if you remember years ago when you owned like justin upton he was just like a super streaky guy i i think ian hap's going to be the same thing so he's going to be somebody that in one fifteen game sample he might hit 220 and then he might reel off a hot streak where he hits like 280 300 and then he goes back into another tailspin. I, I just think he's going to be like an EKG guy, if that makes sense, where yeah. in, in a full season, he's going to bounce up and down with his results as long as you're timing the hot streaks and you have somebody to fill in for him when he when he craters. But it's so hard to predict when a guy is going to have the bottom fall out. But, you know, he can make a liar of the two of us if he can actually start hitting fastballs with any proficiency this year. I think this is a, he's another one of these do or die guys where he has to do it this year for the Cubs or they'll probably move on. Yeah, I, I, I you know, it could be the year of Ian Happ. I'm not saying it won't. Um, I have reasons to doubt. I think the fastball thing is, is really scary. But, in you know, in this range, it's easier not to take him. I'll say that. Uh, you know, with Odor just a few spots ahead. And, and so at pick 250 for Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson is going one pick later. So I would I would much, much, much prefer Dansby Swanson over either of these guys. I think his upside mm-hmm. is a actually good hitter, you know, 270 to 280 batting average if he puts it all together with a more, you know, 250 to 260 floor. And I think he's got the tools as well to hit 25 plus home runs, you know, or at least get to that at some point and steal double digit bases as well. So. So of all of all three of those guys I just mentioned, I'm, I'm taking Swanson first, even though he's going last. But um, it's an interesting range for upside. Like I said, you know, if you get um, a couple of solid, solid hitters with high batting averages early, you should be taking stabs on these guys in the in the 250 range. So yep. it's an interesting uh, spot in the draft. Well, Greg, I said we would go 45 minutes. It's over an hour now. <laughs> oh, brother. I, all right. I'm long winded again, even in, uh, you know, even coming back from a little hiatus here, but, uh, I think it's cause we all missed out on opening day today. So thanks for keeping my mind off of the negative and focusing on possible results on the field. I think it's uh, healthy for everybody. Agreed, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining me and thanks for uh, sticking with me. And, um, yeah, it's definitely more fun to, to talk about, players and, and draft strategies than it is to uh, lament the fact that we're not getting opening day today. But hey, I will, like you, remain hopeful that, uh, that June will happen and uh, we're just going to keep pressing on. So um, Absolutely. thanks for going through all this with me. Is there? I, I know you already talked about your uh, articles coming out. Is there anything else you wanted to plug? <laughs> no, I'd say we're all kind of in a holding pattern. You know, it's it stinks because usually by now I'm starting to do some bullpen reports on 
on Fangrass without Melchior. And, uh, you know, I kind of miss not having those go live. I was usually the Tuesday and Saturday guy, but um, I have been putting small updates, just not a lot written and the stuff below with the, uh, with the closer chart you alluded to, but that is uh, it's open for anyone's perusal. And that is my pinned tweet at G J E W E T T nine. You can go through there. I, you know, I did put uh, your Royals into the shared <laughs> bubble for now. So until we oh. get more clarity, don't tell um, me I that. I kind of had to. I had to. It's again, it's well, everybody... saying it, not me. But um, well, but I, yeah, I keep that going. And then uh, the the article we were talking about with the uh, potential schedule ramifications from June going forward. Uh, I'm hoping to have the American League up and ready on Friday at Fantasy Alarm. And usually, Howard puts that in front of the paywall. Bender's a great guy in that regards. And then hopefully Monday, I would have the National League one ready to rock. Awesome. Well, that that closer chart is is certainly worth the price of admission, but also everybody follow Greg on Twitter, GJewett9, and Jewett is J-E-W-E-T-T. Um, and, you, you know, you, you do a lot of good tweets. Uh, I, I notice you, you tend to be on top of the news, especially with, with in certain areas. And, and, and so your reactions are always interesting. I'm always interested to, to, to know <laughs> if you're sort of thinking the same way I am about uh, what this means whenever something happens. So uh, great follow. Thanks for thanks for uh, joining me again. And to everybody out there, um, you know, wash your hands, please stay home. Uh, and we're, we're going to get there. And uh, thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball. <laughs>